Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. We're in the midst of our series called Jesus and. Jesus and, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand what it means to be obedient in every area of our life. That God has a desire for you in every area of your life, not just what we do for an hour on a Sunday morning, but in every area. And I I got a picture on the screen of four people that mean a lot to me. Those are my kids, man. And I know I look too young to have kids that old. I know. I know what you're thinking. Thank you for that internal compliment that you gave me. But um, that's Reese is 12 and Camden's 10. They're not twins. And Reese gets really mad when people ask that, but they're about the same size. And Jackson's eight. And then Glory is two. And I'm showing you, A, I'm super proud. So if I could find a way to work them in every week, I would. But I was thinking this week about my prayers for them as a father. Of course, we just had child dedication and dedicated precious little Holden. But I was thinking about my kids and the way I pray for them. And early on as a father, um, I did, I was pretty young as a father. I think my prayers were just out of like dread, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Help, Lord, you know? And uh, Lord, help them not to turn out messed up or just, you know, make it good or help them to be good kids or whatever I would pray, just kind of out of desperation. But I noticed over time that my prayers for them began to shift. And instead of simply praying, Lord, help them to be good kids, help them to behave, help them to all that, I, I began praying differently. And my heart for my kids was, Lord, I want my kids to be obedient to you. I want them to listen to your spirit. Uh, God, today, my kids are not going to be perfect and they're going to make mistakes and they may not do everything right, but more than anything, God, I want them to hear your voice. I want them to be obedient to your Holy Spirit. And, And so I've just noticed my prayers for my own children have changed. And in the same way, like I am not your dad, okay? And I know that. But as your pastor today for this church, that's my heart for you, is just not that God would just turn us into good people, and, and that's, you know, that is what it is, but I believe God has so much more for us, and my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is God, help us to obey you, help us to listen to your spirit in all things, and so today, I don't just pray that over my own children, I pray that over you, and, and this series is really a practical way to help us do that. Each week, we're talking about the different areas of our life that if we're not careful, we can kind of section off, that we can say, God, God, I'll obey you, and and I love you, and I'll trust you, and I've got a relationship with you, but this area of my life, that's that's my thing, and you can't, you can have my Sunday morning, and you can have my Tuesday night, and you can have, but, but God, don't ask me for whatever that thing is. Last week, we talked about Jesus and my enemies, and we talked about an area of our life, if we were honest where we would kind of prefer to do our own thing. Like, God, I'll love you, and I'll be nice, and I'll go to church. But man, that person, what they said about me, what they've done to me, man, I want to handle that on my own. I don't want to hear what you have to say about that. But we're discovering, we're learning, that God God desires to transform us from the inside out, to show us, to, to, to give us his mind, the mind of Christ, to give us a pure heart and to empower us to obey him, yes, in every area of our lives. And so today, we continue this series. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus and my money. 
You can see there's a reason we don't advertise the sermon title before Sunday morning, right? Uh, how many of us would be like, oh, actually, my sock drawer is looking pretty crazy. I've got to stay home and do that. And uh, what, what time's the Redskins game? I better get home for that. Actually, better not, actually. Right? Sorry, that's two Redskins jokes in three weeks. I'll stop. But, um, man, Jesus had a lot to say about our money. He did. You can't read the scripture. You can't, uh, and if you're new or visiting and think that I've got some agenda this morning, I'm just telling you, if you read through the scripture and you read through the red words of Jesus time and time again, he talks about our money, our stuff, our possessions. And, and Jesus didn't do that because in and of itself, he cares a lot about your bank account. He, he didn't do that because in and of itself, he cares about how nice of a car you drive. That's not it. What Jesus knew, what he knew then and what he knows today is that oftentimes if he wants our whole heart and he wants obedience in every area of our life, maybe this isn't true for you, maybe it's just me, but oftentimes money is the last thing. Our stuff, our possessions is the last thing that we want to give. And in my life, that's true. Many times, oh God, I'll obey you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go there, I'll do that. But ooh, how is it going to affect my bank account? How's that gonna, how, how are we going to be able to provide for tomorrow? How am I going to have enough to do? And I begin to worry and worry. And so oftentimes in my life, Jesus knows if I can surrender that to him, then I can surrender everything. I write this down, it helps me a lot, because this is true, and I think it's true uh, scripturally. Uh, it's okay to have stuff. It's okay to have stuff. Today, some of you think, oh man, this is going to be a guilt sermon about I've got money, and I've got... That's not true. In fact, I believe that's true from what Jesus said. It's okay for us to have stuff, but it's not okay for our stuff to have us. It's not okay for the stuff that we have and the money that we have to possess us. And because of that, Jesus has a lot to say about our stuff, about our money. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. And we're going to read, uh, if you would turn there, if you haven't already, we're going to look and, and understand uh, what Jesus says. But in this series, we're not beginning with our actions. We believe true transformation begins not with our actions, but with our thoughts and with our attitudes and with our heart. And so today we're not going to talk about seven practical ways to be more, like, that's not it. That's not what the message is about. We're going to begin talking about what does it mean to have a mindset that obeys God and everything, including our money. And so the question for us is, what is your mindset when it comes to money? Because I believe true transformation doesn't start from the outside in. No, no, no. True transformation begins in our mind. And so today we begin by asking the Lord, what is my mindset when it comes to money? We're going to be in Luke 12, starting with verse 13. And uh, begins, Jesus uh, is going to respond here to a question to someone in the crowd. So we're going to begin reading now, verse 13 of Luke 12. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It was very typical in that day for a rabbi to kind of be brought into uh, family issues, um, civil issues. And so in verse 14, Jesus said, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? But then he said to them, watch out. And then look at what Jesus says here. This is so important. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
in an abundance of possessions. Look at that again with me. Look at that. Listen to what Jesus, the Son of God, says to us. And man, that was true then, but man, if this is not more true today than it's ever been. He says, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That your life and my life, it's not just about accumulating stuff. And then in response, he tells this story. Read with me in in verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I want to stop for a minute and acknowledge, if we had just started reading the story and I hadn't kind of introed it and hadn't explained that we're talking about Jesus and my money. That, in fact, if you didn't even know that Jesus was the one saying this and you just read this somewhere, you might say, man, what's wrong with that? Didn't this kind of rich man, didn't, isn't this good stewardship? He's saving for the future. Isn't that a biblical idea? Why, why would Jesus come down so harshly on a man that did something that many of us would say was a good thing? Well, he, he had a lot of stuff, and he needed more space, so he built room for more stuff so he could take it easy and relax. And what is the big deal? <laughs> it's a good question. I think it really comes down to the man's perspective, to his mindset. His perspective in this story was all about take care of me. Read it again. Look at the story again. Everything he says is through the context of me mine what's in it for me my future he doesn't even talk about his family he doesn't talk about the community around him he doesn't think of anyone else's needs but his own and jesus reminds us that true life doesn't come from living this way the rich farmer is not a fool because he's wealthy and he's not a fool because he saves for the future he's a fool because he lives only for himself And we may say, well, man, he had everything going for him. And oh, what a shame to leave so much behind. But what is saddest is what Jesus reminds us in verse 21. Look back there again with me and notice the specific wording that Jesus uses. He begins the parable by talking about a man who was rich. Rich according to the world's standards. Rich according to the things of today. But look now what it says in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves for self, but is not rich towards God. So Jesus is immediately kind of comparing two different groups of people. One over here is the, those that are rich to the things of the world, and the ones over here are rich towards God. So that immediately, as I read that, it, it led me to think, man, what does it mean to be rich towards God? What does it mean to not just be rich towards the things of the world? I kind of understand that, but what does it mean to be rich towards God? Because that, that's what Jesus wanted the crowd to hear, that this man was not rich towards 
God, I, I found an interesting passage. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's a few chapters later in your New Testament. And now this is not Jesus speaking, although as I read it, it sounds a lot like Jesus. It sounds a lot like Luke chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, who never met Jesus personally, but after Jesus' resurrection, uh, Jesus appeared to him supernaturally on the road and changed his life, and he lived the rest of his life for the cause of Christ. And now uh, he, many years after Jesus is gone, having never personally heard what Jesus said about our stuff, about our money, about being rich towards the things of God, he's going to write in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to Timothy, who's a young believer, who's a young leader, and he's going to close this book that he writes at the end of chapter 6. He's going to conclude not with a suggestion, not with an idea, not with, ooh, here's three tips to be a better leader. He's going to give him a command. That's a strong, strong language. But, but the Apostle Paul is going to command and listen to the language that he uses now, how similarly it sounds to the same words that Jesus spoke just a, a few chapters earlier that we read. Starting in verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen to this. It says, command, not suggest, command that those who are rich, there's that word again, those who are rich in this present world not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Apparently there is life that's not really life. Paul's like, no, 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 they're going to take hold of the life that's true life. And so I've said everything I've said, and these passages of Scripture are good, but I, I want to I close today by, by focusing not on our outward behaviors, I, that's so important, but I want to begin by focusing on our mindset, on our heart. And what is it, what is our mindset, you and I, when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to, and I'm talking about me for a minute, I'm using my language, okay, because this is true for me. And I think it's true for a lot of us in this room. I think it's true if you're a middle school student here in this room and you feel like, well, I don't even have a lot of stuff. I think that's true for you. I think it's true for parents and grandparents, every generation, college students. I think this is true for every single one of us in this room, that my mindset when it comes to money, when it comes to my stuff, is me. It's me-centered, me-centered. That's what my mindset is. That when it comes to my stuff, in my things, it's about me, me, me. This is true. Do you know Glory, uh, she's two, and, and I never have had to go in the room where, where Glory's playing, and I've never had to say, oh, Glory, would you stop being so generous with your toys? Glory, would you just, you, you know, you're giving too much away to other people. Glory, you need to be a little more selfish, right? I've never had to have that conversation with her. We're born with, with a nature bent towards me, towards self. And that's true in this area, it's true in every area of our life, that my mindset, when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to my things around me, is me. Well, that's mine. And if I do that with it, then I won't have it anymore. I need that. I want that. Me, 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 me. And that sounds a lot like the attitude of the man in Jesus' story, the rich landowner, the farmer. Doesn't that sound like his mentality? Well, I'll do this for me, and I'll store up things for me so that I can have, it's me, 
me, me. And so today, I want to challenge this mindset. I understand it. I relate to it. But I want to challenge this mindset by offering maybe four other ways, four other ways that we can begin to shift our mindset away from this towards the things of God, to be rich towards the things of God. And I want to use this passage in 1 Timothy 6 to help us do that. The first is probably the biggest shift in our mindset. I wouldn't say it's the most important, but I think if you can get this one, then I think you can get all the others. And that's it. I've called it owners versus managers. That's the mind shift that we're talking about today, the mindset. Look again at 1 Timothy 6. We just read these words. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. We'll talk about what that means in a minute, to be rich in this present world. Command them not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put their hope in God. And then look what it says, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Here's the thing. I I actually believe, and statistically, this has a lot of proof behind it, that you and I in the room today are, are rich. That's not a word we like to use. It's, not a, it's got some connotations to it. We feel icky. But if you were to look at, at you and I compare, and I'm talking like teenagers too, all right? You're included. But if you were to look at us in comparison to the rest of the world and the things that we own and the things that we have and the potential we have for education and jobs, and I, I know not everybody in the room, but the majority of us in this room, by the world standards, we're rich. And as soon as I say that, there's a feeling you have, a connotation, maybe a guilt or a shame, like, oh, he's come to beat me up because I have a, a nice car or because I, I, I've got a yard that I like to mow and look really good. Thanks. For, you know, there's guilt and shame that comes in. But we're not supposed to be guilty because you and I, here's the reality, we're not owners, but we're managers. What, what does that mean? It means in 1 Timothy 6, that it's God who provides. It's him who gives. And, and this is true about my life. Maybe you could realize it's true about yours. That when I look at my life and I look at every gift in my life, everything, the four kids up there on the screen, man, the, the home that I have, the things that I have around me, everything that I look at in my life, I look at it and say, man, that's a gift from God. That's a gift from God. Now, I could look at my kids and say, no, I worked hard to raise them, and I should have, but, but man, I, looked, I stand back and say, whoa, 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 man, what a, what a miracle. What a blessing. And I believe in working hard, and I believe in doing things, but time and time again, everything in my life that I look at, I realize it's God who's provided. It's him who's blessed me. And, and so because of that, you and I are not owners, but we're managers. Managers don't feel guilty. Owners feel guilty. Oh, I feel guilty. I've got all this stuff. What do I do? No, no, no. But managers don't feel guilty. They feel responsible. And that's the game changer for us. That's the shift in our mindset that changes everything. Because if we are, many of us in this room, considered by the world standards rich, you're not supposed to feel guilty about that, but you are supposed to feel responsible what does God want me to do with what he's given me? I'm not just talking about your bank account. I'm talking about the things that you have, the gifts and the abilities and the stuff. Look around you. Look at the blessings God has given you. You're not here today to feel guilty, but believe God, the heart of God for you, the mind of Christ would be that we would feel responsible. And even today, if you're not rich, even if you're like, man, you are not talking to me today, let me tell you, man, what if we could practice being that way? Because most of us in this room are not good at being rich anyway. The more that we have, the less that we give away. The more that we have, the more time we spend on consuming and managing, using and enjoying our wealth. Most of us in this room aren't even really good at being rich. 
And so this letter, these words to Timothy are, man, command those who are rich in this present world to make sure that they have the proper perspective. Why? Because it is God who blesses. It is God who gives. He is the source. And because of that, we, you and I, are not really owners of stuff. We're just managers. And that, that's a shift. Next, uh, maybe this helps you. I think the shift in our mindset has to move from a goal to a resource. Again, look with me in the verse 17. We just read it. He says, uh, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. We don't put our hope in stuff. Man, and is that ever a temptation? I'll tell you it is, because, man, when the bank account isn't going well, man, it, it changes things, doesn't it? It makes us feel, when we look around us and we begin to worry about the tangible things around us, how, how's this going to get done? How am I going to provide for this? How am I going to pay for this? We all do that. The amount of stress that that produces in us, man, we've all been there, but the moment that we can shift our mindset and recognize that our goal isn't stuff, our goal isn't money, man, it is just a resource. It is just a resource. It is something that we use for God's glory. Look at um, just a few verses earlier in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. It says that the love of money is the root of evil. Money is not evil. In fact, I have seen, I have witnessed money do some incredible things, some redemptive things for God's glory. That money can be a, a blessing. It can be something that is leveraged and used as a resource for kingdom good, for incredible things. So if money is not evil, but the love, the pursuit, living my life for me, 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 and more stuff, and more stuff, and more stuff, and can't you see, don't you see, don't you see the world around you that is obsessed with living for more and more and more, and it's exhausting. And it's not the life that you and I have been called to. Why? Because our stuff, that's not the goal. It's, it's just a resource. Why? Because... We're not owners, we're managers. And if every good and perfect gift that we have is from above, as it says in James, then, I mean, God, how can I manage the resources that you've given me? Next, uh, let's look down at verse 18. I think the shift here is from keep to give. A shift away from keep, that's a word that we understand, to the word give. In verse 18, it says, command them, again, not just suggest, but command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. This is a generous church. And I'm not just puffing up. I mean, this is, it's true about the people that sit in this room, the people that call this church home, that we have for years, not because of me, but we have been a generous people. And in fact, as a part of HFCN, we believe in giving. We believe it's biblical that God calls us to give what's called a tithe. And we're not going to talk about that a lot today, but man, if I were you, I would want to know more about that because I would want to say, what, what does that mean and what is it about that God asks us? He doesn't require it. It's not like a payment. It's not a penalty. It's not, no, no, but he says, man, I've blessed you with everything. Would you give back to me your first 10%? Would you give me back, not your leftovers, that's how some of us give, but would you give me your best? And we call that tithing. And today in the version uh, notes that we've set up, if you go there, I've put a couple great resources that answer really good questions about tithing. And if you're new or visiting or you're skeptical, I understand that because I've been there too. But I included a couple links to specific messages that I've shared about this concept of tithing, and it might help you. It's helping me. 
But this morning, I think it's important as we look, I love being generous. That's who we're called to be, that we believe in tithing, we believe in even giving beyond that. That's who we are as a church, that's who we've been called to be. But look again at the wording here. We're called to be rich in good deeds. We're called to be rich in good deeds, to be rich in serving, to be rich in loving, to be rich in extending grace. Uh, that Paul's using that language that we can identify with relating to our personal goods. And our, but he's saying, no, no, I want you to be rich, but not necessarily rich in your bank account. Oh, that's well and good, man. I want you to be rich in how you love. I want you to be rich in how you extend grace to others. I want you to be rich in how you offer forgiveness and how you love your enemies. I want you to be rich what, towards the things of God. And so when I'm talking about giving today, I'm not just talking about your checkbook or your bank account or your, no, I'm talking about your life, that it's a call to give beyond ourselves, to be rich in good deeds. Finally, uh, very similar, but I think this is important. It's a shift away from hoarding to sacrificing. To hoarding to sacrificing. Look at verse 19, the final verse that we just read. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity um, to stand by people, to journey with people as they journey towards the end of life. Several pastors on our staff that have done that, and they've done it really well. And in those moments, those kind of final moments, man, those are tender moments. Those are sensitive moments where kind of the most important thing becomes the most important thing in that moment. And I've never been by the bedside of somebody who's passing away that said, man, I wish I could have worked harder to have more stuff. I wish that, you know, we were able to, whatever it is, the material things that you and I, and, and I know, man, I'm there. I understand the desire for more and more and more stuff, but I've never stood there at the end of someone's life and heard them say, I wish I had more stuff. I've never been there at the service and witnessed, you know, somebody that's gone from this life to the next, and I've never sat there and witnessed them as they've taken all their possessions with them into eternity. What I've witnessed in those moments is we see the example of a life, and in that moment, that person has either laid a foundation that will last, or they've laid a foundation that's temporary, and the foundation of stuff is just temporary because you can't take any of it with you. None of it lasts, none of it. But a person who is rich towards the things of God, a person that has laid a firm foundation for the coming age, man, they might die. Their life here on this earth may end, but you know what happens? Because they've been rich towards the things of God, that that person is no longer living anymore, but their generosity, their kindness, the grace that they've extended others, the love and compassion they've showed continues to live out. And so while that person may not be living anymore, they are very much still alive because they've laid a foundation for themselves and not just for themselves, but me, man. When it all comes down and it's all said and done, I want to lay a foundation, not just that people would remember me, but I want to lay a foundation for my family. I want to lay a foundation for my neighborhood. I want to lay a foundation for the school that my kids go to. I want to lay a foundation for my coworkers. Why? Because I want to be rich towards the things of God. And our mentality when it's all about me is holding so tightly to the things of this world. We're so afraid of losing it in this hoarding mentality that we got to keep everything that we can. Grab, hold tight so long because we don't know how much longer. Fight for what's mine. And I love hard work. 
and I believe in that. But if that's our mentality, and it's me-centered, and it's all about me, one day, you get to the end of your life, you would have built a foundation that cannot last. I love, I love this idea that uh, I was thinking about the life of Jesus. And I, I really believe this is true. That if you were to sum up the entire life of Jesus and his call for us as believers in one word, that word would be sacrifice. Uh, love's good, that's a great word, but think about the life of Jesus and what he came to do, that he came and he lived a sinless life on this earth and he gave himself up on the cross for our sins, for your sins and my sins. And, and then, it, it, for those of us that would want to be called Christians, followers of Christ, Jesus calls us in his word, hey, if you want to follow after me, you've got to take up your cross and follow. It's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to surrender. And I believe true transformation in our lives begins with this mindset, this mindset that, oh man, it's not just about accumulating more and more and grabbing hold tighter and tighter to the things of this earth, but Lord, help me through sacrifice, through surrender, to lay a foundation that will outlive my life, that to be rich towards the things of God, because one day, when this life is over, man, I want my life to keep living. God's generosity towards us moves us to be generous towards others. That's the main thought, man. That's the main thing. If you don't hear anything else, why is it that you're talking? Why is it that we care? Why is it that we're, oh, man. Because in view of God's generosity for us, what is our response to that? It's to be generous. If you show me the life of somebody who continues to live a me-centered life and accumulate stuff and make it all about me, 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 man, I look at that person and say, how can they truly receive the generous love and grace of our God and not extend that generosity to others? How can we look on the love of our Savior, the generosity of our God and all the gifts and all the blessings, how can we look on the generosity of that and then hold back from being generous to others? God's generosity towards us moves us to be generous towards others. The band's going to come, and we're going to close this morning. Uh, we're we're going to worship. We're not going to take an offering. Relax, man. That's not what it's about. God, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And some of us in this room, until, until we can surrender our stuff, man, God can't have our heart because it's the last thing. But this morning, I just feel led that we would close in worship and celebrate a God who is generous, a God who has loved you well, a God who has held nothing back from you. He's given you everything. What is our response to a God like that? Man, it's worship. As they come and they begin to play, I was thinking about this question this week. What does the world think about when they think about Christians? Now, you might be here this morning and you might not consider yourself a Christian. We're so glad you're in the room you're welcome here. We're so glad. But when we've made a, a commitment to Christ, when we have a relationship with him, uh, we're called a Christian. What is it that the world around us thinks about when they think about Christians? What about just our, let's just talk about us, okay? What does our community think about when they think about us? You know, this week, one right answer I had to that, I mean, I, I hope... I hope that our community, I hope our schools, and I hope our neighborhoods, and I hope our coworkers, and the places that we live and work, when they think about us, you know what I hope they think about? Man, they are some of the most generous people 
I mean, and they just love. And they, they're willing to sacrifice and they're willing to serve. Yeah, the people they like, but even the people they don't. There's just something different. You mean, I don't, I don't even believe what they believe yet. And I don't know about Jesus, man, but I see the generosity. I see the way that they give and they serve and they sacrifice. And man, there's just something different. They don't live for themselves all the time. And maybe one person would see that and say, man, I got to know more about that. I got to know more about that kind of transformation in someone's life. May it be so with us. In response to a generous God, oh man, that we could be generous. Would you stand out to your feet? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray that the Lord would help us, give us the mind of Christ in every area of our life, that we would hold nothing back from him. Jesus, we worship you now, and we thank you that you are a generous God. The next breath that we breathe is a gift from you. The day, man, if you give us tomorrow, man, that's a gift. That you don't owe us anything. Yet, Lord, many of us, if we were to look at our lives, we can look around and we can see hard things, and we can see disappointments, man, but we can see blessings. So, Lord, today we're not owners, but we're managers. We're not here to feel guilty, Lord, but we are here to feel responsible. So, Lord, help us. Help us to lay a foundation that extends beyond this life. Help us, Lord, to be rich, not just the things of this world, Lord, all, oh, but help us to be rich towards the things of you. And today, now we close by just worshiping you and thanking you, the God that held nothing back, the God that is generous in love, rich in mercy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you now, and we worship you, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Let's sing together, church. Let's worship him today. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at beaconofhope.org for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.